Episode 171, Fog Spit, Chapter 2. This is Retirement Talk. I'm Del Lowry. Difficult times in Sweden and Mormon missionaries come together in this chapter around 1900. An immigrant's road to America is born. This is the second chapter of Jackie Spink's memoir, Part 1. If you've missed some of the chapters, you can find them in the Retirement Talk archives or on Jackie Spink's page. Chapter 2. Dad, there's some guys over there watching us. Men in black suits in that year, 1906, standing at the end of the pasture, quietly watching, frightened impoverished men like my grandfather Lars, who worked for one-third of the crop he raised, two-thirds of his crop going to the owner. That year was an uneasy time in the backwoods area of Sweden, where the remnants of a medieval economic organization still remained, a time of whips, chains, dungeons, and hefty taxes. His neighbor's 12-year-old son had been executed for stealing the master's cart. These men in dark suits were especially disconcerting when they stood silent, unmoving, watching him plow. He tried to ignore them, yanked on the reins of Old Blue, then knelt and attempted to pry a rock loose from the soil finally leveraged it out with a branch, all the while surreptitiously studying the two men, who seemed like statues as they leaned against the fence post. He tried to place them. Had he seen them in the village? Where did they come from? What did they want? They obviously weren't standing there to pick up pointers on the technology of plowing. His small sons, Waldemar, Wilfred, and Walter, helped him pile the stones he leveraged from the ground. Walter, he said, you help Will with that stone. There's a good boy. What kind of trouble was it this time? If not immigration, gendarmes, he'd immigrated from Russia to Sweden. Was it creditors, eviction notice, warrants, taxes, arrest? Men in black suits were bad news whichever way you shaved it. He pretended to be unaware of their presence. Come on, old boy. Lars yanked on the reins of his horse, knelt, attempted to pry a rock from the soil again with the help of Walter, then ripped it out with an excess of worried force, such poor soil, all the while secretly peeking at the men, dressed in those bad news black suits. What did they want? His mind raced. He had a tiny amount of money, carefully penny-pinched, and hoarded by Breda, my grandmother. Was he going to lose it? Or were they all going to be evicted? Had one of his sons stolen something from Sir Eric, and there was a warrant out for his arrest? You boys done anything bad you want to tell me about, he inquired of his sons. No, Pa, they answered. You're sure? You wouldn't lie to your old dad now, would you? No, Pa. Your sister's been good girls, too? Oh, sure. You heard anything about your Uncle Leo getting into trouble? Nope, they answered. You're sure? I know you don't want to get your Uncle Leo in trouble, but I've got to know. No, Pa. The boys look anxiously at the two men. Do you think those guys over there want us? Nah. Giddy up. Why should they? We haven't done anything wrong, right? Lars dragged the plow through the rocky soil. Maybe the men would get tired and go away. 
He was fairly certain they wouldn't trample through the lumpy, half-frozen, muddy field to get to him. Not in those duds. They'd either wait or give up. These past years had been tough for Lars. The weather had been bad. The crops had been meager. He wasn't the best farmer around. He had six kids. It was a crop which was thin even in periods of good weather, partly because Eric rationed the manure. The kids were constantly hungry. Back at the house, the youngest one, my mother, Selma, constantly pulled on Brita's skirt, whining for food. Dinner soon. Grandma Brita patted Selma on the head, worried, trying to substitute kindness for food. You not spoil your appetite, ja, honey? Please, Mama, just one piece of bread. Selma would plead. It won't spoil my appetite. You run along in sweet porch. Please, Ma, I'm so hungry I can't wait. Yes, you can. Look at big sister. She can wait. And maybe Pa will bring us home something good. No, he won't. Ah, the baby is such a pity pot. He's in the field. How can he bring us anything to eat? Well, maybe Eric will come by and give Pa some candy for you. Now, wouldn't that be nice? That's only at Christmas he does that. Now, how did I get such a gloomy gust for a daughter and at such a young age? Please, Ma, just one little slice of bread. You don't have to put anything on it. Older sister Adina, my aunt, whispered, Go outside in the garden and dig around and see if you can find a potato or some dandelion greens. Thanks, Adina. Meanwhile, back in the field, Laura kept Lars kept sneaking peeks at the two men. What punishment awaited all of them? Well, the men weren't going to give up, it seemed. He was merely postponing the inevitable. Might as well get it over with, whatever was waiting for him. Good afternoon, they smiled. We're here to save you. They held out their hands. What kind of scam was this? Lars examined his callous hands for mud wiped it on his pants leg, and shook their hands. Save me from what? A person accustomed to being exploited could never tell. This was the first time anyone had offered to save him from anything. We're from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints in America, and we've come to save you, they repeated in broken Swedish. The men were young, 20 or 22, Missionaries, they said. Lars waited, head bowed. So they continued, stopping and starting, novices at their work, at their calling, hunting for words, trying to explain, to convert in broken Swedish the good news of Christ as seen by the Mormons, going into details about the angel Moroni, the golden tablets, America, the celestial kingdom. Lars relaxed smiled at their eager faces and told them he was more worried about today than 40 years down the road. The terror eased slowly from his tense biceps. Breed it now, he said. She worries about when we die. I don't. Mr. Larson, you say you're not worried about the afterlife, but there's nothing more important than your soul. I don't expect much from the Almighty. He's not too crazy about me, Lars answered. Well, we're here to change all that, they said, and you're wrong that he doesn't care. 
Well, I've got to get back to work, and he walked away relieved. The missionaries drifted off, but returned the following day, this time wearing boots and work clothes. Tagging along, heaving, straining, piling rocks, pushing the plow, but always with a book of Mormon in their pocket. They waited until Lars stopped to eat Brita's rye bread and pickled herring before they began on the saints again. Let me explain to you what joy you'll have in your conversion, they said. You better talk to Breed about that. I'm not much interested, Lars replied. But day after day they came and they told him about how on Judgment Day his soul would be reunited with his body, every limb and joint and hair restored, and how Jesus would return and lift all the Mormons out of their graves. With my luck, some bear will come along and make a feast out of my body before Jesus returns, Lars answered. We asked God at the burial to protect the body from the elements. God was once a man, you know, just like us, with flesh and bones, and we believe, no, we know, humans can progress into gods themselves. Wouldn't you like to be a god amongst men, Lars? Not only did Lars not want to be a god, he didn't want to be anything more right now than a good farmer with his own fertile soil. He also belonged to the pessimist class, as was 90% of his friends and brother, as this idea of becoming a god waltzed right over him. The missionaries were getting nowhere with Lars until by chance they hit pay dirt. They told him about America, this Garden of Eden, where he didn't need to fertilize or irrigate as the soil was so fertile and the warm rain so abundant, everything flourished without any help. And they told them how they would help Lars and his whole family not only avoid the pits of eternal damnation, but would help him become rich. Of course, Lars had dreamed this impossible dream of owning his own land, but it was only a dream. He had lived an unremarkable life, struggling to survive, first in Russia, then ending up here in Sweden, tending the fields in his God-forsaken, feudal countryside. He'd die young and lie in an unmarked grave. This ends the first part of Chapter 2. You have been listening to Fogspin, written and read by Jackie Spinks. This is Retirement Talk.